Morning, everybody. Got a little reverb on this for a sec, but, uh, you know, let me take that off. That better? That's better, right? <laughs> I want to read to you real quick from the Psalm. Psalm 89 says, verse 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. How many know the Lord's merciful and he's faithful? Amen? For I said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness shall establish the very heavens. Verse 5, and the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, and your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. That's us. Praise God. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to worship the Lord and praise him for his faithfulness and for his mercy. Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together and gather in this place. Lord, we thank you for everyone that has come and whether, uh, Lord, went through the weather uh, that we've got this morning. And Lord, we, we also thank you for the people that are watching online, Lord. May your presence fill this house. Lord, touch us this day, we pray. Lord, we declare your mercy. We declare your faithfulness, Lord. And we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. And everyone said... Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be you, O ancient of days. In every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Let's sing that again. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be unto the ancient of days. From every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue, every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne in worship. You will be exalted, O God, and your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient of days. Sing a blessing. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be to the ancient of days. From every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of faith. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. You then will bow at your throne in worship. You be exalted, O God, and your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient of faith. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be unto the ancient of days. From every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Will every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory, every knee shall bow at your throat in worship. 
You will be exalted, O God, and your kingdom shall not pass away. Sing that again. Every tongue in oops, hallelujah. Give me one second. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship, you will be exalted, O God. And your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient of days. Hallelujah, Lord. Your kingdom shall reign over all the earth. Sing it to the ancient of days. None can compare to your matchless work. Sing to the ancient of days. Your kingdom shall reign over all the earth. Sing to the ancient of days. For none can compare to your matchless worth. Sing to the ancient of days. Your kingdom shall reign over all the earth. Sing to the ancient of days For none can compare to your matchless work Sing to the ancient of days Every tongue in heaven and earth Shall declare your glory In worship you will be exalted, O God and your kingdom shall not pass away every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory exalted O God in worship you'll be exalted O God and your kingdom shall not pass away O ancient of days hallelujah Lord Give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. We give you praise, Lord. Hallelujah. Good morning, church. How are all of you this morning? Good. Okay, I just have a few announcements for you. Today is Sandwich Sunday, so make sure you come join us after service today. If you didn't bring food, that's okay. There's plenty. I brought extra just in case, so don't worry about it at all. And then we also have our Wednesday night Bible study starting back up this Wednesday. And it's about the awe. No, awe of God is the wrong one. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And then Sunday, next Sunday, Miss Jerry's class starts back up on the awe of God. So if you would like to join Miss Jerry, let her know, or just show up Sunday morning and be there with her and enjoy that class together. No, don't press the buttons. Um, so I'm going to play a little video for a promo for Wednesday night's Bible study. This nine-word title.
So that Bible study is Wednesdays at 6 o'clock to 7.30. Um, other than that, I believe that is all that we have for you today for announcements. So at this time, you can do five minutes for meet and greet.
Yeah. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's find our seats. Friendly bunch. How many glad you're in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. It's better than being in jail. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Well, we're going to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offering in a moment. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture from 1 Chronicles 29. Verse 10 says, and they're, what's happening here, they're, they're gathering offerings for building the temple. And um, some of you probably know, David had it in his heart to build the house of God. And the Lord said, I'm not going to let you do it because you've been a man of war and so on and so forth. He said, but your son's going to build it. So what David did is he said, well, if, if my son's going to build it, I'm going to begin to collect the offerings so that when, the, when he comes to power, when he sits on the throne, everything will be ready for him. And here's where we pick up. This is First Chronicles 29 and verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. And yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You exalted as head over all. Listen to this verse. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. And then in verse 16, we find out how they praise and they're glorifying God. He says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and you have pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer unto you willingly. A couple things we see here. It's interesting, David understood that everything that we have comes from the Lord. And thank you for those good amens, but it's true. It's pretty hard to, to make a living if you're, if, if you're crippled up and you don't have health in your body and everything's a mess. The, the fact is that God, the fact that God gives us health and that God gives us jobs, how many of you know even in this situation where in America, some, it's kind of hard sometimes to find a job. If, if God's giving you a job, it's to, you know, not only provide for yourself, but also to provide for the, for the work of the kingdom. So David realized that everything that he had came from God. And then it says in verse 15, as we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers, our days on earth as a, are as a shadow and without hope. So what it's telling us is that we hold everything that God's given us temporarily. I know Billy Graham used to say that at a funeral, he's never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. That's funny, you'll get it on the way home, but there's never been a U-Haul following a hearse. And sometimes people realize way too late in their life 
that it is foolishness to try to just store up everything you can on this earth because you never know when your time comes. The Bible talks about a guy who was building barns and more barns and he'd had so much prosperity on his right and left hand. He said, you know what, let's, let's build greater barns and fill them up. And, and the Bible, the Lord spoke to him and said, thou fool, this night is required of thee. Your, your soul is required of thee. We don't know when we're checking out. So what we want to do is make sure we're rich towards the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And then it says our possessions are God's and we're stewards. Verse 16 says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build a house for you in your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. David's not sitting there and thinking, you know, I've got all of this wealth and these resources because I'm just a smart guy. He realized it was from the Lord. And then we also see, finally, that we should willingly offer unto God that which he freely gives us and blesses us with. In verse 17, he says, I know that you test the One of the ways that God tests our heart is in the area of finances. Because he says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's pretty quick to see, if we look over our monthly banking statement, where our heart's really at. Thank you for those good amens, but it's true. I look at that in my own life. I don't want my monthly bank statement all filled up with, you know, all kinds of doing this and doing that and, and going out to eat all the time. And, and when I look at what I've given into the work of the Lord, it's very minuscule. Amen. Because I want to set forth my treasures ahead of me. The Bible talks about that when we give into the work of the Lord, it's unto building the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel that others might be saved. And he goes on to say, God tests our heart and he has pleasure in uprightness. As for me in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy I've seen your people who are here with me to offer willingly unto you. So I want us to pray this morning. The Bible, of course, first off tells us that the tithe or the, or the first tenth belongs to the Lord. And Malachi, you can read about that. The Lord got upset with them and he said they were cursed with a curse because they were stealing from God. Now you may not think that's stealing from God, but God believes that's stealing from him. When he's giving you these things, he says the first portion belongs to him. That's what got all of us in this mess anyway, is the Lord had said all the trees in the garden, all he said is that one tree, don't touch that one. Just that one. And they wouldn't keep their hand from it. So the Lord tests our heart, and he wants to see if we are willingly going to give back to him what he's entrusted us to. And so I want you to pray this morning about what the Lord would have you give, and um, I'm going to have the ushers come forward, and we're going to pray this morning. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together, Lord, and we don't want to be people that just come to receive. Lord, we want to be people. Your word declares that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, we want to give back to you a portion, Lord God, from our heart, Lord, to reveal how much that you mean unto us and for all that you've done. And Lord, we ask that you would bless these gifts this morning, and Lord, that they would go forth in, the, in, the, in bringing the gospel forward and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and Lord, that many souls would be saved. We ask that in Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, amen and amen.
We're going to sing one of my favorite songs this morning. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Praise God. Why don't you stand with me this morning as we sing this song? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Hallelujah, Lord! And when the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bright? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Thank you, Lord. So lay aside the thorns that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, sing that with me. So are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Thank you, Lord. Spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of man? We worship you, Lord. We praise your holy name. Hallelujah. Why don't you slip up your hands right now to the Lord and thank him? God, we worship you. We thank you for what you did for us at the cross. We thank you, Lord, that your labor was not in vain. Lord God, that we have responded to the gospel call, Lord. That we have replied yes to you. We give you praise.
Lord of all creation Of water, earth and sky The heavens are your tabernacle Glory to the Lord on high God of wonders beyond our galaxy You are holy, holy The universe declares your majesty You are holy, holy Lord of You're the Lord of heaven and earth Early in the morning So early in the morning I will celebrate the light And as I stumble through the darkness I will call your name by night the God of wonders beyond our galaxy Lord, you're holy, holy The universe declares your majesty Father, holy, holy You're the Lord of heaven and earth Lord, of heaven and earth Sing hallelujah, hallelujah To the Lord of heaven and earth Hallelujah to the Lord of heaven and earth Hallelujah to the Lord of heaven and earth We worship you, Lord We glorify your name Praise you, Lord. God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy. Hallelujah. To the Lord of heaven and earth, hallelujah. To the Lord of heaven and earth, hallelujah. To the Lord of heaven and earth, hallelujah, Lord. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We give you praise. Praise you, Father. You are so great, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Sorry about that. That was a song very similar. That's not the one we're looking for. Jesus, we worship you. 
sing this to the Lord this morning.
from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. thank you. We worship you, Lord. You are an awesome God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We give you praise. We give you praise, Lord. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the believers to our right and to our left, Lord, the family of God that you've purchased by your own blood. We honor you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen and amen. You may be seated. Can I get a couple of those uh, Kleenexes? I forgot mine. Yeah. Well, as I think everybody knows, Pastor and Mrs. Pastor are on vacation in... Um, Suffering for Jesus in Mexico, amen. So their weather is probably much different than ours, but we're glad they could get away and spend some time together. How many know that's important? We're going to talk this morning on the subject, do you know what time it is? I want you to go with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. This is probably one of my favorite passages of the Bible to preach from. Now, think about it. Probably 20 years ago, I preached from this exact text in this church. Back when I was in the, I'm still an evangelist. Back when I was an evangelist. But back when I was traveling a lot and 
I just now hit me. I didn't realize that till right now. But you weren't here, so this is new to you. <laughs> Romans 13, verse 11 says, and do this. Why don't you say that with me? Do this. Say, I'm going to do this. Know the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. And the day of the Lord is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. And let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry, that's partying. And drunkenness. Not in lewdness or lust. And not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. There's another passage from the Bible that I like a lot. And it's in uh, 1 Chronicles 12.32. Listen to this. It says, And among them, among the children of Israel, were the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. Among them, among the people of God, there were the sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. Wouldn't it be a good thing if in America there were people who understood the times, and our government I'm talking about, who understood the times and knew what ought to be done? How many think that's important? How many think that would be a blessing? Amen. I want you to imagine for a minute there's a, a council meeting in the bowels of hell, if you will, and the devil's talking with some of his head fallen angels and some of the demons, and they're trying to figure out a plan and a program how to keep people from getting saved. One of them stands up and says, I know what we'll do. Let's convince them that there is no God. And the devil says, that's not going to work, because as it says in Romans 1, the very heavens and the creation reveal the handiwork of God. Did you know that atheism, let me just pause and say this, did you know that atheism is strictly a Western thing? Strictly American, strictly Western nation thing. You know there's nowhere that you're going to go in the world and you're going to find an atheist outside of the Western world? Nowhere. They all worship something. The Bible says in Romans 1 that because they wanted to suppress the knowledge of God, they knew God. In fact, let's look at this real quick. If you got your Bible, look at Romans 1. This is not a rabbit trail. This has everything to do with the story I'm telling you. And you're already in Romans anyhow. Romans 1 pretty much dials in what's going on around us. I don't know if you've looked at this before, but we're going to start with verse 19. This is what I was talking about, why the devil said that wouldn't work when somebody came up with the idea. We'll just convince them there's no God. Verse 19 says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made 
even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Why don't you say that with me? They are without excuse. Yeah. You look around in the world. I'm, I'm telling you, atheism is something that's strictly Western. You have had to have educated yourself to such a level of stupidity to say that there is no God. You go anywhere else in the world, and they may be polytheistic. They may worship, you know, whatever. God of thunder, God of whatever. Even not too long ago, even in the Hawaiian Islands, where, you know, they've recently had those terrible fires, but they worship before, you know, from time past. They, they, worship, they worship the island itself. They worship a lot of stuff. Verse 21 says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. Here's what I'm talking about. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and professing to be wise, they became fools. So atheism is strictly, and then the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So somebody who, you know, goes down that route, the Bible says they're foolish, and it says the result is that their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, one of the worst uh, atheists of the past, well, century before, in the 1800s, a man named Voltaire, uh, who was a, a famous um, English, or French, he was a famous French atheist. And um, he said that in a hundred years from now, there'll be no Bibles. That's what he said during his time during life. And he died a terrible death. He died a terrible death. So most of these atheists, when it comes right up against it, they, I, I, I think it might be Voltaire, but one of them was saying, oh, I've made a terrible, oh, no, it was Anton LaVey, the Satanist. When he was dying, said, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. I've made a terrible mistake. Because all of a sudden, the reality of the, of the spiritual realm opens up, and there's a real devil out there, there's a real heaven, there's a real hell. But Voltaire said in 100 years, there'll be no more Bibles. You know what his house is today? It's a Bible publishing place. That's a true story. So the devil's saying, you know, what are we going to do to keep people from coming to Christ? And someone says, we're just convincing there is no God. And, and the devil says, that's not going to work. Another says, well, let's tell them there is no hell. Well, you know as well as I do, there have been people, the devil says, that's not going to work because there have been people that have seen it. You ever met somebody who had a near-death experience? I mean, they literally died, and they, all of a sudden, they're in hell, and somehow medical professionals brought them back to life. Thank God. And they're calling out to Jesus. What's that about? Hell's a real place. So he says, well, that's not going to work. Finally, one guy says this. He said, um, let's not tell them there is no God. And, and let's not tell them there is no hell. Let's do this. Let's tell them there's plenty of time to make a decision. They don't have to make it today. There's plenty of time. And I would have to say that over, I don't know, probably 20, 30 years of ministry, that's been the tool that the enemies use on most people. Most people, when, when it all comes down to it, and people stand before the great white throne judgment, and the books of, are open, the Bible declares that's going to happen, 
And the Lord's going to see if their name was written in the Lamb's book of life. He already knows, but he wants them to know. He's going to open the books. Of all our lives, there are books that are being kept. And you're going to find that many of those people had an intention at some time, at some point, to come to Christ. They just kept putting it off and putting it off. The Bible says that when you hear his voice, that the day of salvation is now. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I heard somebody say that tomorrow is a date in a fool's calendar. So that's the idea, is that people think that there's plenty of time. It is important for us to understand the times in which we live. Paul begins this portion of Scripture by saying, do this. Understand the times. Now Jesus, in Luke 12, verse 54 through 56, says this. He says, whenever you see a cloud, he, he, he's, he's dealing with the people in his day that were not discerning the times. The Bible clearly said that Jesus would come once unto salvation and that he would come back to rule and reign on this earth. And it was so clear from the Old Testament prophecies that they were in the time that was set aside for the Messiah to come. And they were, you know, consistently the religious leaders were challenging that. And Jesus said to them, he says, whenever you see a cloud coming out of the west, he says, you know that a shower is coming, rain's coming. How many of you realize that yesterday when you're looking around, you're like, hey, there's, there's rain coming. You don't got to be a rocket science to figure that out. He said, when you look and you see there's clouds in the sky, and you know that, that rain is coming. And when you see the south wind blow, you can say there will be hot weather. And there is. And then Jesus said to them, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this present time? Like I said, there was an abundance of signs that were telling everybody. You got you to remember that they heard the prophecies uh, every, every Sabbath, every Sabbath when they were for, from childhood on, they were taught the word of God. Their hope was that a Messiah would come. And Jesus is saying, you don't even realize what's happening here. And so it is many times in our day today. You know, the Bible says that before Jesus come, it would be like the days of Noah, that they would be eating and drinking and being given in marriage. In other words, they're going to carry on with life just as it always has. I, I call it being clueless. There's a lot of people right now that are clueless of what's going on. I think a lot of, especially us Americans, we're looking around and we're realizing something's off. Something's not like it was. And we don't know exactly what's going on, but we know something's going on. Now the Bible tells us, and also all the ancient Jewish sources uh, talk about that there was going to be, that, that man had, was going to have dominion over the earth for 6,000 years, and, and in the last uh, week of time, okay, one, one day, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but the Bible declares one day with the Lord is a thousand years. And in all the Jewish writers, there is this concept that there was going to be 6,000 years from Adam 
until Messiah would come to reign on the earth for that last thousand years. We know it as the millennial reign of Christ. So for 2,000 years from creation, you had the age of the patriarchs. Prophet, and, and also I would say the priesthood of Melchizedek. I'm not going to get too much into that today. Um, that, that takes time. But in Melchizedek priesthood, there were the prophet, priest, and the king were all wrapped up in one. How many know the story that when Abraham won, went back and got Lot from the kings of Sodom that had captured him, Melchizedek came out. That was actually Shem. Melchizedek's not a name, it's a title. And there was a Melchizedek in priesthood from Adam on. It went to Adam, then to, uh, uh, what's the son that was born after Abel? Seth. It went to Seth, and then it went on to, to Noah, uh, and then to Shem. And so if you start digging around, you find that the person who came out to meet Abraham was Shem. And then the, the priesthood went on, and so it was prophet, priest, and king in one person, and it went on to Abraham, and so on and so forth, until the time of the law. So for 2,000 years, of the time of the, the patriarchs and the Melchizedekan priesthood. And then for 2,000 years was the age of law, when the Lord met gathered people through Abraham and his descendants and went to Mount Sinai and gave them the law. There was 2,000 years of law. And the king and the prophet and the priest were divided. The kingdom was given to the tribe of Judah. The priesthood was given through the tribe of Levi. And as far as the prophet, it was whoever the Holy Spirit uh, chose to use. Then, now th this, is, this is common, th this, is, this is Jewish theological, and we, we come from this because Christianity comes forth from the Jewish Messiah. There was 2,000 years, there was to be 2,000 years of grace. So 2,000 years of the patriarchs, 2,000 years of law, and 2,000 years of the age of grace. And it began at the death resurrect, and resurrection of Jesus Christ around 30 or 33 A.D., and it's also known as the church age. That's the age in which we live right now. Now let me say this. That 2,000 years, we're talking about understanding the time in which we live. 2,000 years from Christ's death and resurrection puts us in the zone of 2030 or 2035 until the millennial reign of Christ would begin. These are the times in which we live. Now, you know, you have to, no one's going, and after that, it'll be a thousand years of Christ reigning upon the earth. Now, we, you don't set dates on that, but what I'm, as, you can't set an exact date. The Bible says, no man knoweth the day or the hour. But Jesus rebuked them for not knowing the times and the seasons in which they lived. And what I'm telling you is, is we're running out of runway here. The Lord is not going to delay his return forever. We're in the age of grace and things are, are wrapping up. Now, uh, here's some other food for thought. Now, the, I say 2030 to say in 2035. How many of you have heard that the, the, uh, the powers that be, the elites, whatever, Davos and the World Economic Forum, how many of you have heard of their plan for 2030? Agenda 2030. What's that all about? They didn't just pull that out of the atmosphere. Because the Bible says that we're headed towards a time when a man in the Antichrist will step out onto the scene and he'll be a one world ruler, one world religion, one world economy, and a military force to enforce the mandates. Okay, we're quickly approaching that time. And what I want you to understand is 
I think some people think that when the Antichrist shows up, that he's going to have time to set up some infrastructure and everything. It's already going to be in place. A lot of people right now are looking and saying, man, this world's falling apart. It's not falling apart. It's falling into place. Everything's got to be set up for that man to step on the scene, and we're quickly seeing that happen right now in our day. And what I'm wanting you to know is, you better understand the time in which you live. Now, what I want to share with you this morning, four things about the time in which we live and the times that are about to happen that we have to understand. First thing I want you to understand is, is you may want to take a couple notes on this, but the first thing I want you to understand is that Israel is the prophetic super sign of the end times. In fact, how many of you have ever heard the term of the Great Tribulation before? Give me a wave. How many of you that's brand new to you, you've never heard before? Give me a wave. Okay, so the Bible talks about uh, beginning in the book of Daniel, Daniel, I think, uh, chapter 9, 10, and 11, that there's going to come a time where, uh, well, and Jesus said it, there's going to be a time of such tribulation upon the earth such as never been seen. And go with me to Psalm 2 real quick. I want to show you that this is not anything new. Psalm chapter 2, very... Interesting scripture. My pages are sticking together. Here we go. Psalm, chapter, Psalm 2, verse 1 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth and the rulers. So these, these are movers and shakers, right? This is not the baker and the candlestick maker. This is, these are politicians. These are world rulers. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. That word anointed is the same word for Christ in Greek and Mashiach in Hebrew. Well, here's what it's saying. The rulers and the kings of the earth take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah against his Christ. They're taking counsel. One version says they conspire. This is the original conspiracy. It ain't a theory. It's a conspiracy. All it takes is for a conspiracy is for two, three people to get together to begin to plot something. And here's what they're saying. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. This is what they want to throw away. They want to get rid of this. They want to get rid of the word of God. Because they see this as, as cords and restrictions. And, you know, right now, there's even a move to, for AI to rewrite the Bible into something that's more palatable to the LGBTQYX community. I, I don't, I've lost track of the letters. I, so forgive me, I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm just, I don't know them all. I know it's LBTQ something, X, whatever. Because they, they have to rewrite this book. They've got to get rid of this book in order for these things to, to be acceptable. There could very well come a time here even in America that to preach what the Word of God says could land you in jail as hate speech. But this is the conspiracy. This is the plot that's going on right now. The rulers of this world, the kings of the earth, set themselves 
together against God and against Jesus Christ. And they say, let's cast aside their bonds. Let's uh, get rid of their commands. But the Bible says, says the Lord sits in heaven and he laughs at them. Because you can't fight God. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And here's God speaking. I have set my king, that's Jesus, on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the end of the earth for your possessions. Look at verse 10. Now therefore be wise, O kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. You ever seen when somebody does uh, homage to somebody? Maybe you've even seen it like in Rome, you know, where they kiss the Pope's ring. It's saying, bow down, humble yourself before the sun. Um, also, the Greek word for worship is to kiss toward. So, worship the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. And here's us. But blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Hallelujah. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. But Israel is the super sign of Scripture. Now, those of you, uh, basically, if, if you're born, like I was born in 1968, okay? Anybody in that range or, or later, Israel has always been there. But what I want you to understand is Jesus gave a prophecy in Matthew 24. He said, they're asking him, what will be the sign of your returning and the end of the age. And Jesus says, he, he looked at the temple and said, you see that, that not one stone will be left on another. The temple's going to be torn down. And in 70 AD, the Romans finally got tired of the Jewish rebellion and revolt and all the things that were going on. And they literally raised that thing to the ground. Let's see, so that was 70 AD. In 150 AD, there was, there was a revolt called the Barkova Revolt. And the Russians, the Russians, the Romans, where did that come from? The Romans totally cast all the Jews out of their homeland, which they had been in since they walked in with Joshua and conquered the land. Banished them, said no Jew can come back here except by pain of death. Renamed it, called it Palestine, and it was named Palestine up until like the 1940s. That's like 1900 years. So, like my grandfather's generation, the World War II generation, they can remember when Israel was not in the land. And yet, the Lord foretold that there would come a time when Israel would come back into the land. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 says, 70 periods of seven are determined. He's speaking to Daniel about the Jews. He says, for your city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up all vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, the Messiah, Christ. So one of the things that, that was going to happen was that God promised he would gather his people from the north, from the south, from the east and the west, and bring them back into their homeland. And Jesus, concerning that sign, said this in Matthew 24, verse 32 through 34. 
He says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches have already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Okay, just think of that in the natural. We got a fig tree in our yard. I love the thing. I love figs. I was in there the other day moving through the, the leaves trying to find a fig, and I thought, man, I get what Jesus was talking about now when he was hungry looking for figs, because figs are a great thing. It's one of the greatest fruits God ever created. If you never had one, I highly recommend it. They're awesome. And it's great when you got your own fig tree. I don't got to go around looking for, you know, dried fig. Most of the time you find figs are in the dried state. But I go out there, boom, 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 found one. Boom, I just pop it in my mouth. It's the best tasting thing in the world. But when you put it there, there's going to come a time here soon when uh, winter hits where the leaves are going to fall and everything. But when you see the leaves begin to bud again, you know that the fruit's about to happen. You're going to have some, some figs from it. Jesus says, just like that, he says, when you see these things happening, when you see God moving Israel back to the Lamb, know that my return is near and at the very door. And then he says, this generation, this generation will by no means pass away to, until all these things happen. So Israel, the return of Israel into the land is a super sign that we're in the last days. And that happened May 14th of 1948. Isaiah 66 and verse 8 says this, Has anyone ever heard of such a thing? And whoever has seen such a thing? Can a country be born in a single day? Or can a nation be brought forth in a single moment? Yet no sooner was Zion in travail that she delivered her children. Now, like I said, if you're, like if you're my age, uh, born 1968 or later, you kind of take it for granted that Israel's always been there. But it wasn't always there. And as my grandfather grew up in his time, in his generation, there was no Israel. There was no Israel for, for centuries. It was just like a desert wasteland. And in one day, in one day, they became a nation. That happened in May 14, 1948, the year my mother was born. Now, here's something else that's interesting. Did you know that even though it's been a nation since 1948, that Jerusalem was never recognized as Israel's capital to all the nations of the world? Guess what happened? One thing Trump did, listen to this date. So they went back, they were born again into a nation on May 14, 1948. Trump recognized Jerusalem as his capital May 14, 2018. Same day, May 14, 1948. May 14, 2018, 70 years to the day. 70 years to the day. That's a generation. 70 years to a day. People say, well, what's a generation? The Bible declares that man's years upon shall be 70, and if by strength, 80. So a generation, you're talking like 70 years. So Jesus saying this, he says, in Luke 21, 24, he said Jerusalem would be conquered and trampled down by the Gentiles until the age of the Gentiles comes to an end. So that's why he said, just as like when you see the fig leaves coming on and you know that, that the fruit's about to be there, the harvest's about to come, he says when you see these signs, know that it is near and at the very door. So Israel being back in the land, Jerusalem being its capital, is, is huge, letting us know 
And again, this, these things began to happen the, the year my mother was born. My mother now is 74 years old. So we're getting close to what Jesus said. This ain't going to go on forever and ever. I mean, the world's not going to end. It's going to be good when Jesus returns. But there's going to be some things that happen before that. Number one, the Bible talks about the rapture of the church. And that's why I'm preaching on this this morning. Because when I was a kid, we heard about it all the time. But a lot of churches don't preach about this no more. The Bible tells us that there's going to come a time when the Lord would snatch out his people before the wrath to come. There's a passage in Isaiah where it says, Come into your chambers, my people, and shut the door until the time of the wrath is over. The Bible says that when we're saved, that we're not appointed unto the wrath of God. Now, you, you, you have to deal with the wrath of men. men are, Jesus said, all men will hate you for my name's sake. If you're a true Christian, you're going to find that there's an antagonism out there that people don't, they, they don't like you, you don't, they don't know why they don't like you, but it's simply because of the light of God that's within you because you're saved, you're born again. You're going to have to deal with that. But what happened at the cross is, is that God the Father put all the wrath that he had for, his, for sin upon his son. This should have come to me. This should have come to you. But Jesus took that wrath paid the price, and now the, I don't have to deal with the wrath of God. It's over for me. There is therefore now, Romans 8, 1, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to be condemned. I'm not going to have to go through what the Bible calls the great tribulation because it's about the wrath of God upon this world. Basically what's happening is the Lord is going to pull his church out. There's going to come a day where if you're in here today and you're not saved, if you're watching online and you're not saved, there's going to come a day that if you, I would recommend you get saved, to like today. But if you're not saved when the rapture of the church happened, all of a sudden you're saved grandma, you're saved mom, you're saved brother and sister, you're going to find they're missing. Now they'll probably say aliens took them. And there's going to be people that believe that because the Bible says the world's going to be given over to strong delusion. they got to come up with some reason. Because they're looking at us like we're the problem. I'm not the problem. I'm part of the solution. And if you're saved and full of the Holy Ghost, you're part of the solution. I'm here to tell you, I'm the solution. This word right here, this is the solution. You get a man with this who's full of the Holy Ghost, that's part of the solution. I'm not part of the problem. You know what happened when, when Elijah came down against King Ahab to, to have that showdown at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18? Ahab comes out to him and says, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah looked at him and says, it's not me that's troubling Israel. It's you and all your wicked house. I'm not the problem. Washington, D.C. is the problem. All these ungodly people that are trying to push their agenda, that's the problem. This is the solution. There is nothing that is not in this book to fix your life. And there's nothing that, God, that the devil's ever done to you that God can't fix in 24 hours. That's a fact. This book works. God's a man. You never heard this before. I'm telling you, God is a pop. God is, woo. All powers of God. I'm not preaching to you cleverly desired uh, myths or fables or, 
Listen, this is a reality. I'm telling you what, the power of Jesus Christ can break the chains of alcohol, can break the chains of drugs, can break the chains of pornography, can break the chains of anything. If you're here and your life has just been a wreck because people have messed you over, a lot of things have happened to you that maybe weren't even your own fault, God can fix that. My wife could stand up here and give testimony. To, I'm telling you what, I'm not... You're not looking at a guy that walked around, that, that grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth of morality. I come from a wild bunch. I'm not the son of a preacher. My grandfather wasn't a preacher. God, his grace and his mercy set his hand on me to preach. But I'm here to tell you, my, my, my family line, man, they, they, they were some, some of them were scoundrels. Everyone looking in here like a bunch of sanctimonious, but maybe it's just me. Okay, so you're looking at a person that got plucked from the fire. Okay, don't, don't, don't let the smooth taste fool you, my friend. You're looking at somebody. I'm not sitting here. Listen, I've been through it. I'm not going to give you all my testimony because I'm not going to glorify the devil. But I'll tell you what, I've been through it. I know what it's like to be bound by some things. I know what it's done to do some things I'm very ashamed of. But I'm going to tell you what. One touch from the hand of God. Changes everything. Turn your life around. Those things that you're ashamed of, got to wash those away. Make you ready for the rapture of the church. You don't want to miss that. Why do you not want to miss that? Because all hell is going to break loose on this earth after that for seven years. Gonna, you, I'm gonna, let me get into it. Let me tell you what the rapture is. The Bible says, write this down. If you've never heard about this before, just write this down. Just write 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 15 through 18. It says that by the word of the Lord, I declare unto you that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord, and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, I want to tell you, if you're ready to meet Jesus right now, what I just told you is a comfort. If it's not, then it's not a comfort. But the Lord doesn't tell us these things to scare us. He's telling these things for us to be prepared. You don't want to be a person that missed the rapture over what? over some booze, over some women, over, you know, being too busy with your own life that you have not surrendered your life to God, that, that's foolishness. Because the Bible tells us that there's going to come a time of seven years of unmitigated horror upon the earth. Jesus says that his coming for his church is going to be suddenly in the twinkling of an eye, This is interesting. 2 Peter 3, verse 3 through 10, listen to this. Because I want to remind you, in the last days, scoffers are going to come. They're going to mock the truth because they're following their own desires. They're going to say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? This is New Living Translation. From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. That's why I shared that with you in the beginning. 
2,000 years of, patri- of, the, of the age of the patriarchs, 2,000 years of law, 2,000 years of grace that is quickly coming to a close. With the last 1,000 years being the millennial reign of Christ literally physically upon the earth. The devil will be bound for a 1,000 years. One day with the Lord is a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years like a day. He says the Lord isn't really slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God wants everybody to be saved. God is for you. He's not against you. He gave his own son to die on the cross for you. But if you reject that, that's on you. He says the day of the Lord, however, will come as unexpectedly as a thief in the night. Jesus' own words in Luke 21, verse 34 through 36, he says, Watch out! Don't let me find you living in careless ease and drunkenness and filled with the worries of this life so that that day catches you unaware as a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. So keep a constant watch and pray that you may escape these horrors. That's the word of Jesus. The great tribulation, so you got the next thing on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. It can happen any day. There actually are no signs for the rapture. But when you're seeing the signs of his return, when he comes to judge the earth, we're close. Amen? We're close. Now, the rapture of the church. Then it talks about the great tribulation. Some of you raised their hand and said you never heard of that before. There, there are four things that are going to happen during this great tribulation. There's going to be, and you're seeing it happen now. In order for the great tribulation to happen, though, America has to fall. We're the last domino that has to fall. Why? Because we have a constitution that gives us free speech, freedom of religion. They can't have freedom of religion in in the rule of the Antichrist. They're going to have one world religion. And by the way, that one world religion is most likely going to be earth worship. That's why they're pushing this green agenda and climate change and all that. mm. Trust the science, whatever. Give me some science. Give me real science. Don't, Don't try to tell me that, you know, it's hotter than it's ever been. And I go and look in the history books, and, and it's been hotter than this like 100 years ago. All these fires are of global warming. No, they're not. I'm not going to get into all that, but no, they're not. They're strategic. They're trying to burn that, the island of Hawaii out so that the rich and, and the powerful can, can buy it up at, at bargain-based prices. Same with California. I'm going to tell you what, it's, it's wonderful to me God answered my prayer. When I got here a year ago, I said, no fire, fire, no, no fires, Lord. I don't want no fires anywhere in Amarillo County. Guess what? No fires in Amarillo County. Why? Because the Lord says, speak to the mountain. Amen. Did you know you can do that? Jesus, Jesus said, the things I do, you can do, and greater things than, you, than me you will do because I go to the Father. Well, if Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, I think I can... No fires, Lord. I don't want any... Yeah. I don't want no loss of life, no, no loss of property in the name of Jesus. So not all the stuff that's happening are quote-unquote acts of God. 
But America has to fall because we have freedom of religion. We have the ability to defend ourselves should you choose by bearing arms. That's your constitutional right. And the whole Bill, Bill of Rights is in that constitution. No other nation has that. What happens is, the, okay, so let, let, me, let me really get to the meat of this. You're, we're going to have a one world leader that's going to show up. It's already groomed. Klaus Schwab and all these people are, are, are wanting this to happen. Prince or King Charles now of England. They're wanting this one world leader. And what, the reason that's going to be able to happen is because they're going to make it so stressful on people. You watch what happened during this COVID scare a few years back. And you see what people are willing to give up just to feel safe. Amen. You make things so out of control, you'd be surprised what people will give up just to be quote-unquote safe. And these guys know that. You crash the economy, that ability for this one-world economy, which is, is digital-based. And it's not going to be that, the Bible talks about, for those of you that have never heard this, there's going to come a time where every person is in order to buy, sell, or trade, you're going to have to have the mark in your, fore, in your right hand and your forehead. Someone would say, well, I put it in my hand. Why would I ever put it in my forehead? Because some people don't have right hands. Amputees. It's going to be a digital chip with all your information that ties into your bank account, and you're not going to be able to buy, sell, or trade without it. Cash will be defunct. And we're quickly approaching that. They're moving towards that on purpose. All this has to be set up before this guy stepped. I believe he's, I know he's on the earth right now. He's on the earth right now. He's not been revealed, but there's going to come a time they're going to put in your, and the Bible says if you take that mark of the beast, you're damned. That's it. Because it probably got something in there that messes up with whatever. Who knows what Bill Gates has got going on with that. But there's going to be a one-world leader, a one-world currency, a one-world religion, and a one-world military to enforce these mandates. And then the Bible says that Christ, after seven years of just untold chaos and disorder and terror, Christ will return with his church. That's, let me give you a scripture for that. We're going to wrap this up. Revelation chapter 20. And the reason I'm going into kind of depth about this or a little bit, spending a little bit more time on this is because this really is not preached much anymore. I'm telling you right now, what's needed is not four points on how to be a better you. We need to know the times and we need to prepare accordingly. Amen? How many of you know when those hurricanes hit, that they give out a warning ahead of time. Hey, there's a hurricane coming your way. Well, you better go get the bread and the milk. Amen. <laughs> Y'all with me this morning? You better get the water. You better get the bread and the milk. You better get things set up. You got to shutter, put the boards over the doors. Why? Because there's a hurricane coming. I'm telling you, there's a storm coming. The Bible, the Word of God tells you there's a storm coming. You, and if you continue to go on in your own life the way it is, it's to your own peril. But I'm telling you right now, you've been warned this morning, if you've never heard this before. 
Listen to this. This is when Jesus returns. This is Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7. Well, let's, let's, let's start with, let, let me read this first. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, my goodness. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. This is Jesus. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. This is when Jesus is returning with his church. Verse 19 says, And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. This is the battle of Armageddon. Surely everyone's heard of that, right? Everyone heard of that? Armageddon is... That's the Greek word. It's the Valley of Megiddo in Israel. It's this huge, huge plain of just flat ground. Perfect place for a battle. All the nations of the earth that are going to come against Israel, all of a sudden the Lord shows up with his church from the skies. And it says, the beast, verse 20, the Antichrist, captured and with him the false prophet who worked many signs in his presence in which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped worship his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of burning fire and brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Look at chapter 20 verse 1. This is what I talk about the millennial reign or the 1,000 year reign, literal reign of Christ upon the earth. Revelation 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up. And said, he needs to be shut up, amen. <laughs> but <laughs> shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more, until the thousand years were finished. So Jesus is coming back to rule and reign. There's going to be a tribulation period. And most importantly, the rapture of the church is right in front of us. Now, in light of this, we're going to up, going back to Romans 13, that we need to know the time. Right? It says, do this, know the time. Now you know the time in which you live. I just spent the last 30 minutes telling you about the time in which you live. And that it's high time to awake out of sleep. Now, here's what's interesting. That word sleep is the Greek word hypnos that we get hypnosis from. And there's all kind of people walking around like they hypnotized by the world. They're just going on in life. You see them just going on in life. But he's saying to the church, break away from that. Wake up. Shake yourself. Amen. Realize the time in which you live. Wake up. Isn't it interesting that Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, how many of you know that story? The parable of the ten virgins talks about the return of Jesus Christ. And it says, while the bridegroom was gone, they all slept. But at midnight, the cry went out, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go out to meet him. 
Right now I'm telling you that's what God's saying. He's trying to wake up his church. He loves his church. But we've become mesmerized or hypnotized by the things of the world. I mean, you could just look at what happened with the whole COVID, whatever that was, and how, why did we close churches and give up our right to assemble as believers? Why would we close the church because of a flu? Why? We should open the church, tell the people to come in. We'll lay hands on them and pray for them, get them healed. Amen. What, that's what they did during 19, whatever that was during the time of the Spanish flu. I mean, do we still believe in the power of God to heal or do we not? So what are we doing? We're listening to the world. Oh, it's so bad. It's this, that, and the other. And he's saying, wake up. Realize the time in which you live. Realize the time in which you live. And then, very quickly, he says, not only wake up, he says, clean up. Why do we wake up? Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The darkness is almost over. The day of the Lord is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. We sang in that song, lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin. Anything that's keeping you from God, get rid of it. It's not worth it. Heaven and hell are forever. This life on earth is very short. Heaven and hell are forever. There's not going to be one person that when they get to heaven are going to say, you know, Lord, I just really wish I had more time to party. I kind of miss that phase of my life. That's not going to happen. But I'm going to tell you, there's all kind of people in hell right now that are saying, I wish I'd have listened. I wish I would have listened to my grandmother. I wish I would have listened to my mom. I wish I would have listened to that preacher. All of them are saying that. There's not a one in hell that is without regret. And there's no one in heaven with regret. So we need to wake up. We need to understand the time in which we live. We need to throw aside the works of darkness, throw aside the garments that are stained with sin, and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Let us, verse 13, walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, lewdness and lust and strife and envy. These are things we've got to just say no. I mean, look, if you, if you can't say no, it's because you ain't saved. But if you get saved, Jesus Christ gives you the power to say no. When you're bound by alcohol, when you're bound by drugs, when you're bound by pornography, when you're bound by bitterness, you can't say no. I get that, but come to Jesus and you'll be born again and it's a brand new start. The Bible says that sin will no longer have dominion over you. I don't subscribe to that, these, these milk toast guys that are always saying, well, we sin, everybody sins a little bit every day. I don't. Amen. I don't. I've been free from the power of sin. Praise God, you can be free from the power of sin. It's not meant to dominate you. And if it is, why are we even doing this anyway? If there's no freedom from sin, then why go to church? Why be saved? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And let's not walk in drunkenness and lust and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh how to fulfill its lust. You know what provisions are, right? 
Provision, ever know what provisions are? Provisions are food. Supplies. You know, those preppers, are, they're, they got provision. Y'all with me? Anybody? You, you're not like them, them five foolish brides are asleep, right? Virgins? Are you or aren't you? Okay, well, you're awake. Praise God. The lady in the front row, which happens to be my wife. Amen. Wake up. It's worth it to serve Jesus. It's worth it to serve Jesus. I don't walk around anywhere in this town, and I'm not ashamed that I can walk in front of anybody. I don't got to worry about... Oh, man, you heard what that guy did at the bar last night? Or, oh, man, he's running around his wife. None of that. I, I walk free from shame around here. You can walk free from even. And if you're not there, all of a sudden people can see a change in your life. They're like, man, that person used to be really messed up. But look at him now. Well, I'm happy about it anyway. Wake up. Clean up. Start your day with Jesus. Walk your every waking hour with Jesus. Yeah, start your day with Jesus, good. But start your life with Jesus at least. If you're here and you're not saved, I pray you give your heart to the Lord this morning. We're going to take communion a little bit, but before we do, I want us to just bow our heads before the Lord. just want to ask a question. You're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online. You've not made that decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. I want to tell you, heaven and hell is real. That is real. We all deserve hell, but Jesus died on the cross, so you don't have to go to hell. But you've got to surrender your life to him. You've got to let him in. Revelation 3 and verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, let him open the door, and I will come in to him. Jesus called that being born again. Unless you be born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. God loves you, friend. But there ain't no rebels going to heaven. No backsliders in heaven. The Father gave his own son to die for you. You just got, you got to receive that. You got to humble yourself and say, I'm not going to go my way anymore. I've made a wreck of it. I'm going to give it to Jesus. If that's you and you're in this place this morning... You've never given your heart to the Lord. I want you to slip up a hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise, but just slip up your hand. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Slip up your hand right now in the name of Jesus and say, pray for me. And to give my life to the Lord. God bless you. Anybody else? What I'm going to do, I'm going to lead us in a prayer this morning. And for some of you, this is going to be a prayer of, of consecration. Others of you, it's going to be a prayer of of surrendering your life to the Lord for the first time. And I want us to pray this out loud together because we're going to get ready here to come to the Lord's table. And You're not supposed to take of communion if your heart's not right with God. The Bible says you can eat and drink judgment upon yourself. So I'm going to give us an opportunity right now to make things right with the Lord. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I want you to pray this with me. Mean it from your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned, but I believe you died on the cross 
for my sins. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my heart. Wash my sins away. And make me the person you want me to be. I give you my life now and forever. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have the brethren come. We're going to prepare to pass out the elements for communion. This is a memorial that Jesus gave his disciples. And in a way, it's much like you've heard of people renewing their wedding vows. When we give our life to Jesus, it's a lot like a marriage. Jesus comes to us and says, I want to take you. Will you have me? And we either say yes or we say no. And when we say yes, a relationship begins. It's much like a marriage. He watches over us. He takes care of us. Much like, go ahead, come forward, guys. We're going to, what are we doing? We're going to have them come forward to do it or are we passing it out? Somebody help me. What do we do? We pass them out? Yeah, go ahead and pass them out then. Um, much like a good husband will watch over his wife and provide for her and, and care for her. You know, if that's not been your experience with a, with, with a spouse, I'm uh, uh, sorry about that. But I want to tell you that Jesus is a good husband. And he, he watches over us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He protects us. He nurtures us. You're never going to have the Lord say to you, you are a filthy human being. I don't want anything to do with you. That never happens. In fact, it says that when we give our lives to Christ, that as many as have received him, John 1.12 says, as many as have received Christ, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. We're adopted into his family. So the communion is in much very similar to the renewal of a wedding vow. And we're going to take these elements in a moment, and in a sense we're saying, Lord, I still do. I still take you as my Savior and as my Lord. And the reason that there's the bread and the cup is because the bread symbolizes his body that was beaten, that was whipped to shreds for our healing, our physical healing. That did not have to happen. He could have just went straight to the cross if it was all about just forgiveness of sins to go to heaven. But he even made... Hey, brothers, let me get one, too. Oh, you got me one? Okay, never mind. My faithful spouse has... Bring that up here for me, baby. You can come on up here. You can take with me. You make me look good anyway. This is, this is the pretty part of the... of the marriage right here. So we should do that here before one. Go renew our wedding vows. Just say, I still do. Amen. But this is what we do with the Lord. This is why he said it. As often as you do this, just remember to me. Let me read you a scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. How many are glad you came to church this morning? Paul says this, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he broke it he gave thanks and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and when we do this remember the Bible says that by his stripes we were healed you can receive your healing by faith right now just by partaking in this because that's what the purpose of the broken body was for our healing so let's partake of that together Lord we thank you for your body that was bruised for us for our healing Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you did while you were on the earth in ministry, healing the sick, delivering the oppressed, you still do today, you'll still do tomorrow. And Lord, no matter what comes, what plague, what sickness, any disaster the enemy's planning, that you've already provided healing for our physical bodies. We receive healing right now, Lord. We thank you that your name is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our physician, the Lord, our doctor, the Lord, our healer. We receive healing this day in the name of Jesus. Amen. Then it says, in the same manner also, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now this symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. John 1 verse 7 says the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us fully cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Why don't you say that with me? All unrighteousness. All of it. The blood that Jesus shed there's no, no sin so ugly, so disastrous that Jesus will not forgive you if we repent, if we come to him. And this symbolizes what he did that day when he paid that terrible, terrible price to bring us in, to bring us forgiveness that we might be reconciled to the Father. So let's partake of this together and give him thanks. Lord, thank you for your blood that was shed for us at Calvary. Thank you that it is as powerful now as it was 2,000 years ago. Further, it says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. He's coming again. As this whole message is about today. He's coming again. Going to be soon. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Amen? Amen. You don't want to be left behind. You don't want to be left behind. Walk with Jesus. Be in church. This is the place where you're going to hear the word of the Lord. This is the place you're going to be encouraged by other brothers and sisters around you. Amen. No one can do this by themselves. All right. There's no Lone Rangers in the kingdom. We need each other. Amen. We need to pray for each other, encourage one another. Jesus is coming. We want to be ready. Amen. Let's stand this morning. I'll pray a blessing over you. Father, we thank you for every single person that's here this day. 
We thank you, Lord, for even those that are watching online who couldn't be here for one reason or another. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this people, Lord. May your face shine upon them. Lord, may you give them peace. May they be blessed going in and blessed going out. May everything they do and set their hand to prosper. Be with them, Lord, as we leave this house of worship today. Protect them. Provide for them this week. Let your presence surround them. For all these things, we give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. Hallelujah. What was that about?